0: Okay, well that is uh, that is the uh, story of the of Jesus healing the cripple at the pool of Bethesda so I want to I talk about a little bit about that today and really break this down because there's some things that happen there that I think, while it's a, a miracle and it's miraculous, very much apply to our own lives. So I want to give a little background on what the pool of Bethesda was before we get in, into it so just a little history lesson. Uh, so the name of the pool, Bethesda, is Aramaic, and its origins mean house of mercy. So it was in a part of uh, Jerusalem where there's some discussion around where specifically it was located. They believe that they found where the original pool was located. Um, but it was as, uh, as they were describing, and as you could tell in the video, there, there was five covered porches, so essentially five if you want to consider them like God, archways or whatever, something that people could lay under in the shade. And it was near this pool. In this pool, there's, again, I think as I was studying this, there's two, two schools of thought at the time when Jesus was there, is that the pool was a pagan place that had been taken over and was used in pagan traditions. Um, but there was also, in, in, if you, even if you read in John chapter 5, and a lot of texts, verse 4 is kind of put in parentheses because there's discussion around whether or not uh, it was people making up a legend that there was an angel of the Lord that stirred the water or not. So we're not going to get into that today. That's not necessarily the, uh, the topic of discussion, but something to keep in mind. Uh, so those that were there by the water, though, that were there by the pool, they would wait for the water to bubble up. And as soon as the water would bubble up, they would quickly try to get in because they believed that the first person to get into the water when it was stirred up, they were miraculously healed. So you had all of these people sitting around this pool waiting to watch the water to bubble up, sitting there. So they're there. It's a feast, as they talk about in the early part of uh, John chapter 5. Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. Um, in studying, there's some that believe that it was around the time of Passover. Uh, so Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem and he goes to the pool of Bethesda. <clears throat> and, and again, as, as you're studying it, the Jewish people, the, the religious folks, the Pharisees, if it was truly pagan, probably wouldn't have been hanging out there, right? They were there because it was kind of in this unique, unique space. So there's this man, he's there, he's been there for 38 years. Just put that into context. Cliff, his birthday is today, he is turning 38. So for his lifetime, that man was sitting there, waiting for his miracle. Waiting for something to happen. And you can imagine his first time there the first time the water stirs up he's probably excited yes I'm gonna get there and then somebody else beats him and then it continues on and it's just, maybe it's the second year and he's still got this hope you can imagine by the 38th year he's there but he's not really there so Jesus comes and he interacts with this man and the first thing he asks him is do you want to be well? Seems like a pretty straightforward question, right? Somebody who's paralyzed, you would think that they would want to be made well, right? That, that just is, seems like the common response. And the thing is, is it's not as simple as you think. So if you think about it, this guy has been crippled for 38 years. He's been at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years he's been giving he's been receiving food from people he's been he's a beggar he's created a lifestyle out of being a cripple so Jesus asks him this question do you want to be made well to the average person you'd say of course he wants to be made well that's a no-brainer right you would think But in that time and day and age, it's not a no-brainer. This man would have had to give up his entire lifestyle, his livelihood. He would have to change everything. As I was studying, I heard somebody say and share, he'd have to get a job. (laughs) He hasn't held a job before. He'd have to get a job. He would have to learn what it means to live again. His life had been consumed by this pool, and the false hope that this pool brought him. And now he would have to go out and determine, what am I going to do? Imagine how much the world has changed in 38 years. 38 years ago would have been 19, when you were born? 1985, four, four. 1984. So imagine in, from 1984 to 2022 how much the world has changed. His skill set would be obsolete. In 1984, we were still using the Apple One at Macintosh, right? Yeah. Bill Gates was still thinking about what a computer could be. Nowadays, we have personal computers everywhere we go. Imagine what that would mean for him to go from being a cripple to being well. So while it's a simple question in our heads, it's actually a very complicated question because not only would this guy have to learn what it means to have a job but his community was the other cripples the other people who were at the pool those were his friends i'm sure they talked about hey when do you think it's going to bubble up again how you feeling today all of the things now all of a sudden he's healthy he's not welcome there anymore imagine what that would mean you have to give up Everything that your life has been for the last 38 years, and while the benefit is you're made well, you're healthy, you can walk, there's also challenges with that. And I want to ask you the question, do you have something in your life that the Lord wants you to move on from, to give up? That you struggle to give up? And I'm not meaning like, okay, but... Something that it's like the Lord is asking you, hey, do you want this to be out of your life? And internally you say yes, but then you start to weigh the pros and cons of what that means. What does it mean if I'm supposed to go here, if I'm supposed to quit my job and go work over here? I've worked there for the last 25 years. Those are my, those are my people. What do I do? The fear of the unknown Oftentimes, we can be crippled by that. And this guy who was a cripple had to weigh that in that moment. If I'm made well, what does that mean for me? Similarly, we often have to do that when the Lord asks us to do something, and maybe it's audacious. Maybe it's out there. You have to weigh, is this something that I want to do? Or maybe it's something that you've been dealing with and struggling with for a long time. Uh, Rick Renner, I was listening to something he was sharing on this topic, and he said, it's, you know, it's kind of like when you're overweight. And you say, Lord, help me change, help me change, help me change. I want to lose weight, I want to lose weight. The real test is when you walk past the fridge. That's what he said. And it's true. Because you can say it over and over and over again. But if you don't want to change, it's hard to change. So the Lord had to ask this man if he truly wanted to be made whole because he knew that he would be changing everything about him. And let's face it, change is hard. It's hard. No one that I know loves change. There's nobody that's like, yes, change, please. Nobody likes that. They would all rather have things be consistent, stable. Maybe we have one that likes change. Ruby likes oh, Ruby likes change. <laughs> for the most part though, most changes are hard. Imagine if you have kids when you went from having no kids to having one kid. That change is real hard, <laughs> right? And I remember when Sherina were making that decision of when it was time for us to have children, we had to weigh the pros and the cons at the moment of like, okay, if we have babies right now, what does that mean? Like what what season of life are we in? What are we doing? And obviously that's the Lord's decision, but you know, we had to we had to make sure that we were ready for that change. Anytime you change a job, who in here's ever changed a job? Most of us, right? You have to weigh the pros and cons of that change. You have to say, let's see. Okay, right now I don't like my job because of X, Y, and Z. If I go over here, this job offers me X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to lose this. Maybe it's you're, you want to change a job because you want a different career path. But by doing that, you leave everything that you know. Right. <coughs> now all of a sudden, you're put in this in-between space where you are pushing yourself to go in this direction, but you're looking back and going, I missed that. You know, we talk about the grass is greener on the other side, right? Sometimes it is. Sometimes you hope it is. But a lot of times you don't know. So when you're changing a job and you have to make that decision, you don't know where it's going to take you. But that doesn't mean that change is bad. This man had to determine, is change good? Is change bad? Obviously, he had his health back. The guy hadn't been able to walk for 30... Imagine that feeling. Not walking for 38 years and then standing on your own two feet. And back then, they didn't have wheelchairs that they were rolling around on. They were carried. You know, they didn't have the modern amenities that we have. They didn't have handicap-accessible spaces. Everything was harder for them. Yet Jesus still had to ask him if he wanted to change. So I would encourage you, seek your heart. Ask the Lord, is there something you've been wanting me to change that I just have a hard time letting go of? Maybe it's your attitude, your outlook on life. Maybe you're a negative person and you need a reality check of all the good things that are happening in your life. That change can be hard too. But the Lord asks us a question. Do you want to be healed? This was also an indication of the man's faith. We'll get to that in a little bit. But he had to see where his faith was. Did he want to be healed? The guy could have said, no, I don't. You could have looked at the situation and said, of course he does. He's at the Pool of Bethesda. He's hoping that this pool heals him. Of course he wants to be healed again he had been there for 38 years the thing that I want you to think about is he had gotten used so used to living with his illness it had become part of him it had become part of his identity it had become part of how he described himself to people hi I'm Joe I'm a cripple right hi I'm so-and-so and how often do we do that in our own lives? Hi, I'm Adam. I'm an extrovert. Nice to meet you. You'll probably be able to figure that out pretty quickly, right? <laughs> Hi, I'm Billy. I struggle with eating too much sugar, whatever, right? We don't always do that outwardly. Sometimes through our actions we can show those things. But we, we do that. It becomes part of who we are. And the thing is, is our identity isn't found in our physical or personal limitations. Our identity is found in Christ. And I just want to, as I was digging into this, this story is so impactful because this man who struggled with this for so long battles with poor health. Christ doesn't want us to stay in poor health, though. He wants us to be whole. He doesn't want us to deal with anxiety. He wants us to have peace. He doesn't want us to remain in bondage. He wants us to cast our cares on him. He doesn't want us to live with poor finances. He wants us to prosper. He doesn't want us to try and do it on our own. He wants us to depend on him. This man had gotten so used to trying to do it on our own. He even says, I've tried, but everyone always beats me to the pool. He had gotten so accustomed to relying on his own strength, the fact of relying on someone else for something was out of his frame of context. Realistically, this man, because of his condition, would never have been able to make it to the pool without help. There's no way he would have beat someone who could walk to the pool where he was, unless he just stayed in the pool The thing is, is over 38 years he lost his faith in the pool. He was there, but he had lost his faith. And waiting can be the hardest thing that we do in our life. What have you been waiting for in your own life? Or maybe at first the Lord puts something on your heart and you're like, yes, I'm going after this. And then as time goes on, It doesn't come to pass. It doesn't come to fruition. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a job. And you're just like, Lord, what in the world? Where are you in this? And whether you want to say it or not, you maybe start to doubt a little bit. Will this happen? Time can be a tricky thing because nowadays we are used to having everything instantly. We have instant coffee, right? Hot water, coffee bag, you have instant coffee. Boom. Everything is instant. We get upset when our internet isn't fast enough to have something loaded right away. Anybody remember dial-up? Please. Somebody. You know, when you'd call your friend and you would hear, beep, 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 you know, whatever the sound it would make. But at that time, man, that internet was the best. You could get on Yahoo Messenger. You could, you know, go on all the different pages on the website, whatever it was. But at the time, that was great. It was fast enough. Nowadays, we get upset if we don't have 200 gigabyte download speeds and we don't have something downloaded instantaneously. And unfortunately, we get tired of waiting. Imagine how this man would have felt after 38 years. You think he was tired of waiting? You think he was tired of waiting for a miracle? Christ calls us to be healthy and whole. He wants us to fully trust Him and Him alone with those things in our life. So when you trust Him and you fully give that to Him, you say, Lord, I'm trusting You no matter if it takes a day or this comes to pass in a year or in five years because I'm trusting that Your timing is perfect, not my timing. So the second thing that I want to chat through is Don't be steered or influenced or follow the wrong thing. Putting your trust and faith in the wrong place. So I want to continue looking at this story. So let's look at verse 7 specifically. In verse 7 it says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. We put our trust in things that we can see. And oftentimes, we put our trust in the wrong places. This man put his trust in the pool, that he was going to be healthy and whole when this pool bubbled up. That's where his trust lied. Every single time, he was like, yep, I'm going to get there first, and I'm going to be healed. We put our trust in the wrong places. What is the pool in your life? What is is the thing that you're putting your trust in instead of in Jesus? We all have something. Maybe it's the government. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's your job, your career, your own abilities, the abilities of others, your finances. We put our trust there. I am going to be successful because I have this job. I am going to be happy because I have Finances. I'm going to, whatever it may be. I'm going to be happy if a Democrat or a Republican is the president. Whatever that is. We put our trust in those things. And unfortunately, that is fleeting. That trust will never be long standing. It's fleeting. That person that you're putting your trust in, that, that boss that you were like, wow, the best boss ever, they're going to move on. They're going to quit. They're going to get promoted. The friendship that you thought, man, this is the best friendship ever, they're going to move on. We need to put our trust in things that are eternal and everlasting, not in things that are temporary. Temporary things will fade, but he will stay the same. He never changes. The interesting thing is this man was putting his trust in a pool. What's in a pool? Water. In John chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well, what? I am the living water. This man thought he was going to get life from this water when it bubbled up, and yet he didn't even realize that sitting in front of him was the living water that could provide everything that he needed do you think his response would have changed if he knew he was who he was talking to if he knew that he was talking to Jesus the King of Kings our Messiah do you think his response would have been "Well, yeah because I know you can do it heal me yeah but his response was an excuse his response was an excuse excuses are hard We all make them. And I think excuses tend to get us in trouble because the Lord is asking us to do something and we make an excuse why we don't think we can do it. The Lord asks this man, Do you want to be healed? And he gives an excuse I do, but I can't because I can never get to the pool. As you saw in the video, it's not the question he asked. He asked, Do you want to be healed? In Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6, I think that's, there's a slide for that. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. Trust in the Lord. Not in a pool, not in a person. Trust in the Lord. We shouldn't be following a man or a woman or anything. We should be following Jesus and allowing Him to lead and guide our paths. Not steered in whichever direction. We learned about that this week in Ephesians chapter 4. Not following the thing on the right or the thing on the left, but following Jesus. Putting our trust there. Putting our hope there. This man continued to put his hope there. In this pool, and even when Jesus was standing right in front of him, continued to tell him, "I can't do it because I can't get there." So I want <clears throat> to I want to start to close, but I really want to. There's one last thing, and this is actually the title of my sermon. This man couldn't get over his butt, and I don't mean that in, a, in an inappropriate way. But he couldn't get over his butt. Everything ended with, but. I want to be healed, but. I want to get to the pool, but. Everything always had a but in it. Everything. He couldn't get over the fact that he always had a reason why it hadn't happened. And imagine yourself, after 38 years, you'd probably have a lot of excuses. You'd probably have a lot of things to say. I want to, but I can't. I can't. I can't. We have young kids. Oftentimes, I will ask Elijah, can you do this? I can't. He is fully capable of doing it. But because he can't, he doesn't realize that he has the potential to do it. He sells himself short. Same with this man. I want to be healed, but I can't. I can't get to the pool. Someone always beats me. I'm not strong enough. I'm not skilled enough. We all have butts in our life where the Lord asks us to do something and we say, Lord, I want to do that, but I just, I don't think I can. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not trendy enough. I'm not a parent yet. How can I speak into a parent's life when I'm not a parent yet? How can I pastor a church when I've never done it before? How can I go into a a career field that I don't have any experience in? but God, I don't know how to do that. This man had a lot of excuses. He had a lot of buts. So why do we do that to the Lord? Why do we add a but in? Lord, I want to do this, but I just don't know. Again, it goes back to trust. It goes back to trust. If you are trusting that the God of this universe who knows every single hair on your head can lead and guide you and tell you where to go, why would you question what he's asking you to do? I'll never forget uh, my mom. She, uh, she's always been involved in like swimming and pools and, and different things throughout our life. Uh, and she had never managed people, though. She never led people. In Ellsworth, my hometown, we had built, uh, we were in the process of building a community pool. We hadn't had a community pool for probably 10 years. trying to get it passed. And the pool had first hired this lady to run the pool who had no experience running the pool. My mom worked there part time. Uh, She'd lifeguard and teach some lessons and things. And then they asked her to run the pool. Never led people before. And here my mom steps into this role of leading people, of leading a pool, running a pool, all of the responsibility that goes with that. And she had really a choice. She had, you know, she had to choose. Do I want to do this? Make an impact on people's lives? Or do I want to say no? Thankfully, my mom took that job and she did it for about six years. And to this day, People will come back and say, oh, Nancy, you were the best boss. Nancy, you were so great. I loved working for you. You taught me so much. My mom could have easily said, no, I'm not doing that. Lord, I know you're asking me to do this, but I'm not going to. It comes back to our obedience of whether we want to step into that, whether we want to stop saying, I want to, but I can't, and start saying, I want to. And I can't, but I know you can. When we put our hope and trust in Jesus, we're laying down our own abilities. We're saying whether or not it's important, whether we can do it or not, because our God can. Our God can. In Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 8, it says, But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Put your trust in Him, in His ability, in His strength, not in your own. I want to close with talking about the last part of what we read. So this man gets healed. He's, He's walking. He picks up his sleeping mat and he's walking. You can imagine, probably smiling from ear to ear. And he walks past the Pharisees. And what do they say? What are you doing? Why are you carrying your mat? Don't you know it's a Sabbath? This guy had been there for 38 years. Don't you think they had seen him there? That knew his his condition? And now all of a sudden they see him walking around, and the first thing they say to him is, what are you doing? Why are you working on the Sabbath? That's crazy in my mind. They couldn't even recognize, like, whoa, you're walking. How did that happen? wasn't even in their frame of mind. They couldn't get over the fact that they saw this person doing something wrong and had to call it out. They weren't rejoicing with him like, tell me the story. I want to hear how this happened. Right? All they could see was the problem. They couldn't see what had happened to him. And oftentimes in our own life, we can do the same thing where something miraculous around us happens, and we are so stuck on seeing one thing that we can't even see that person's success. How many of you have ever worked alongside somebody in a job? And maybe in your opinion you work harder than them or you've done more to get promoted, and then they get promoted. And instead of rejoicing with them, You find out, you find every, I can't believe they got promoted. They don't know how to do this, or they do this, or they've never done this. Maybe you've been there, maybe you haven't. But I would encourage you that when you see something miraculous, this guy obviously is walking for the first time in 38 years. Don't see the one flaw. See the miraculous thing and rejoice with them. I just, I, I just am so, like, the, the way that the Pharisees viewed life was just so wild to me that they couldn't get over the fact that they were so confined to what they thought and what they saw that they couldn't see the miraculous. That they couldn't get out of their own head and be moved by their heart to see who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. Because in their head, they knew the rules. They knew the law. They didn't ever allow Jesus to get to their heart. And I think oftentimes as Christians, we have a tendency to do the same thing. Where we have everything in our head. We have all this head knowledge. We know know the scripture, everything in our head. And we never allow that to get to our heart. Because that is when, when we have true heart change. When we start to see people the way that Jesus sees people. That's when things start to shift. That's when things change. That's when things move. Because now it's not about what you know. It's about what he knows. So, I would encourage you today. Just allow the Lord to get here. Don't keep him up here. Get him here. Get him here, because that's when you'll look at somebody and go, something's different about that person. I want to celebrate with them. Instead of going, huh, they're doing something I don't like. Right? How many of you ever met a baby Christian? Somebody who just got born again. You're walking around with them, and they swear. Or they have a beer. Or they do something that maybe you have a conviction about in your heart. And it bothers you. It bothers you. Like, my goodness, how could they do that? You're not rejoicing that they have now, they're just walking with Jesus now. You get so hung up on the one thing, the one thing. See people the way Jesus sees people, build a relationship with that person. Don't allow that one person's misstep to distract you from what the Lord has shown you for that person. Right? Don't allow that to happen. In closing, this this example of a miracle of Jesus is profound. And it truly shows us where our faith needs to lie. And I'm sure many of you know this verse, Hebrews 11.1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Don't put your hope and your faith in things that you can see. As a Christian, our job is to put our faith and hope in Jesus. And that is where it needs to lie. This man put his hope in a pool and sat there for 38 years. And in an instant, he was healed. Because why? Because he was touched by Jesus. Not because of something he did, but because he had faith in who Jesus was. Jesus asked him a question, he responded. And because of that, he was made whole. I'm often reminded of the story in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 15, where Jesus is walking through a crowd of people, being touched by hundreds and hundreds of people. And yet he stops because one person touches the hem of his garment. And he goes, whoa, what just happened? Somebody touched me. And imagine the disciples were like, a lot of people just touched you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Someone just touched me. That lady had incredible faith because all she knew all she needed to do was touch Jesus one time. One time and she would be healed. One time and she would have her healing. That's some pretty audacious faith. And you know what? That's what it looks like when you get to the last. Like, I just need to touch him. I see what he's doing. I just need to touch him. And imagine if we had that same perspective in our own life. All I need to do is get to Jesus instead of trying to figure it out on our own. All I need to do is touch him. All I need is a touch of him and I know this situation will be resolved. All I need to do is spend time with him and I know that my heart is going to be transformed. Oftentimes we try to do it on our own and I, I just want to tell you, don't. Give it to him and trust him with that. Don't try to carry that burden. Jesus didn't, he did miraculous things but it wasn't this big show. Or th- All he did was ask this man if he was healed. He didn't have to pray for him for hours. All he did, it was instantaneous you know what? Jesus tells his disciples, you will do even greater things than I. We have Jesus on the inside of us. So what is holding us back from doing the same? From when the Lord leads you, walking up to somebody and says, can I pray for you? I want to pray for healing for you. And truly seeing that come to pass. Because that is what our Jesus can do. That is what he can do. That is what he can do. So I just we're going to close today... I um, just want to pray. And then, Sarah, if you want to come back up, we're just going to close today just with some, some personal prayer time. I just want you to spend time with the Lord just asking asking for Him to move in your own life in those areas that maybe you've struggled to hand over trust to Him on. That He would just shine a light on those things. That He, he is the great restorer and He can do and move and make things better than ever before. You just need to let him.